Is it well with your soul? Amen. Good. Well, in two weeks, Terry and I will celebrate our 28th anniversary. That's right, I was married when I was 10. And, uh, no, not quite. So two weeks will be 28 years, and it's been a wonderful 28 years, to be honest. I, you know, I can't think of a better helpmate that, that God's blessed me with. But, but I think back at our engagement, and uh, you know, we, we weren't engaged a real long time because we were a little bit older, and so she was a little bit desperate to get married. And uh, boy, that, see, that was a bad thing, wasn't it? Uh, we were ready to get married. Both of us were, and uh, and so it wasn't a real long engagement, and and so, but but you know the interesting thing once we were engaged, and there was a wedding date set, there was all sorts of preparation that went into that. We we, we didn't just sit on our hands, <laughs> and I, I I see several people in here that are preparing for that. You don't just sit on your hands and do nothing. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of preparation that goes into a wedding. Uh, budgets, hopefully budgets, are beginning to be set. Uh, you begin to open bank accounts and do things like that. You, you, you find a place you're going to live uh, because most of the time your parents don't want you to live with them. And so you, you've got to do all these things. You, you plan a honeymoon, which is a good thing too. You know, us guys, we're excited about that and we're wanting to get out from the honeymoon with our new bride. See, future hopes should shape current actions. That when we talk about future hopes, it's not a sit on our hand kind of thing and not do anything. But when there's future hopes out there, usually it shapes the activity of today. And so Spencer's getting ready to graduate from high school and we're making plans for college and, and we're trying to figure out if somebody would buy a kidney so we can send him to college and, and doing all those things and you know taking the ACT, all this preparation, making sure the grades are right, getting as much scholarship as we can, doing all those things. When, when, when there's education is the hope of the future, there's things that you do to plan and prepare. It shapes your current actions, your, your career. If there's a hope for promotion, you will do things in the present, in the current time, that will help you in the future time. And if you're thinking about retirement, or you have retired, how many is like longing anxiously for retirement? I'm curious. Yeah, we see a few. I see those hands. Uh, <laughs> you, you make plans for retirement. You, you, you do things with your money. You, you, you do things with insurance. You do things with, with your possessions. When we're planning for family, there's things that we do that will um, shape our current actions. And so today we're going to talk about consummation. We're going to talk about the end. And where we've been dealing with communion, we've, we've called communion the sacrament of sanctification, or we haven't, as uh, Rob Staples has in his book, and the ideal that, that communion is a, an action we, that we take that should shape us as the people of God. And so the sacraments are not simply testimony, but transformation that we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ, in the sacraments that Jesus does not become the sacraments, but we believe that there's a very real presence of Jesus in this place when we gather, when we receive the sacraments, and in that presence there's transformation. And I believe in that presence when we have the right perspective, there's transformation. And so we've, we've talked about the perspectives of communion, that, that communion, Josh opened us up with communion to celebration. Uh, we, we talked about the cost that, sac that, that the sacrament represents. We talked about the call 
of the sacrament. We talked about connection. We talked about being family, being one, that we're sitting at one table last week. And then, of course, we're talking about consummation today. See, see communion looks to a future celebration. When, when we come into this room and we see the elements, one of the things that we should be reminded of is that this is not the end and that God is calling us to this future celebration with him. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> In other words, two things are going on there. You're saying, Jesus died for my sins and Jesus is coming again. That, that there's something more in store for the people of God than just the here and now. In the Old Testament, the, the prophets use often the language of a, a great banquet. <laughs> A great big celebration, a great big party to talk about God's coming kingdom. And Isaiah says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all his people. Even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears away from all. Isn't that beautiful? God's going to swallow up death. And he's going to wipe away the tears from everyone's eyes. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. You know, there's a lot of Revelation 21 in Isaiah right there. This ideal in Revelation 21, John says, I see, saw the, the new Jerusalem coming down, and there was no longer any sea. Not, not that God has anything against ocean vacations, uh, but the sea represents chaos and the unknown. And what the revelator is saying is that God is going to remove chaos from this world and he's going to come down and he's going to restore and he's going to wipe away every tear and death will be gone and there's this great big celebration coming for the people of God. God wants to prepare a banquet for you and I. My, my grandma Moore and, and my mom's like this to a certain degree and has been less, less now as they, they get a little bit older. But it used to be anytime you went into mom's house, there was a big pot of green beans on the stove. You know, I never understood that. You know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. What's a pot of green beans doing on the stove with potatoes? You know, those homemade, those homegrown half-runner green beans with potatoes in them that's cooked with bacon in it, that's the only way to eat green beans is with bacon cooked in it and lard and all that stuff and real healthy by the way um, but my grandma Moore was like that too that you'd go into grandma Moore's house and she always wanted to feed you you know that was her expression of love that was like oh and that's why I've got this figure that I've got now thank you grandma they always wanted to feed us they always wanted to make sure that we had something to eat, that there, there was a blessing in this. Oh, please, won't you just eat a piece of cake? <laughs> I miss my grandma now. I'd like to have a piece of cake. I'd like to see my grandma. That hospitality, that welcomeness, that feeding of those that they love. Your heavenly father's like that. <laughs> Your heavenly father has this great desire to feed his people.
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. He prepares a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. In the Old Testament, there's all these images of God preparing food, preparing a banquet, that there's coming a day that, that despite the chaos all around us, God is preparing this place and this time of celebration, this time of banquet, this time where God feeds us and takes care of us because He loves us. Jesus uses the image of a groom and bride. And, the, and, the, and the, there's an engagement and then there's a preparation. The, the bridegroom builds a place. And then the bridegroom comes back into town to receive his bride when he's ready with his groomsmen. And there's this great big celebration. And he takes the bride home. And there's the seven days of honeymoon. And then the seven days, all the people are all... Talk about awkward, right? Nobody else thinks that's awkward. I feel that's pretty awkward. But that's what they did. This celebration of this union between this man and this woman, this bride and this groom. And that's, that's the context of John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's where I am. There you may be also. It's the image Jesus has given us of preparing a place. And when that place is done, to come and get his bride and there's going to be this great big wedding feast, this wedding banquet when God and his people are one. <laughs> Celebration. Josh talked about that in the first service that we talked about this. But, but we are living in the already not yet kingdom. When I say the already not yet kingdom, I, what, I, what I'm acknowledging is that God's kingdom has been inaugurated. When Jesus died on that cross, when Jesus rose from that dead, God's kingdom is possible for his people in the here and now. God can have rule and reign in your life because of what Jesus has done. But we acknowledge we live in a broken world. And so there's places where people run far from God. And they fight with God. And, and we have chaos. And we have destruction. And we have hate. And we have anger. And we have sickness. And we have death. We live in the already not kingdom. So, so how do we live with this hope? How do we live in the already not yet? You ever go to a restaurant... Anybody in here ever been to a restaurant? Okay. Four people. <laughs> I was like, who's all breathing? Raise your hand. Okay, there's about 20%. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you, know, you go to a restaurant and they, they give you the buzzer of shame. <laughs> and you sit and you wait and you wait and you wait. And, and, and that's called passive waiting, right? 
You know, when you get to the restaurant while you're waiting to, to the, go to the table or have a table, you don't go back in the kitchen and say, well, I'll help you start getting my meal together, right? I, I hope you don't do that. You know, let me, let me cut the steak for you and I'll get it ready. And what, you know. No, you sit in a waiting room and you wait. It's different than waiting for a wedding. You know, when, when you're waiting for a wedding or you're waiting for college or you're waiting in your career, there's preparation that goes on. And see, we are, we are not waiting for a kingdom like we're waiting for a table. But we are growing in our waiting. That, that in our waiting, in our anticipation, God is growing us. He's maturing us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. And for this to happen, we need to have a shift in our perspective. And I believe it's a shift that when we see communion and we consider this final hope, it's an easy shift to make. I think we need a shift in our perspective of God. God wants to be with us. God is not hiding from you and I. This isn't a cosmic game of hide and seek where God is trying to, to hide. You know, oh, they're, they're going to they're catch me and, and God's ducking and bobbing and weaving because he doesn't want to meet with you. God desperately wants to be with his people. And so we begin with this understanding that God's desire is not to hide himself from you and not that you, you, you're not experiencing him, but God's greatest desire is that you sense his presence and you know him and understand that he is preparing a place for you. I was listening to Judah Smith this week. I love Judah Smith because Judah yells just about as much as I do. And Judah Smith was talking about this ideal of God not hiding from his people. And he, and he said this. He said, instead of having a 30-day fast, why don't we have a 30-day eat and celebrate the God that wants to be with us? I'm all for a 30-day eat. Anybody with me there? To celebrate this God that has said, you are invited and I am preparing a place for you. I have done everything that I can to connect you with me. That I will give you my spirit. You understand, theologically, there's this whole ideal of the dark night of the soul. St. John of the Cross. And I understand that there's times where God doesn't feel as close as others. But, but I firmly believe that when, when you have that going on in your life, if that is from God, it's not that God is hiding, it's God's drawing. <laughs> that God is preparing something within us that is more open for His presence. That, that, that that's not a sign that God doesn't care, but it's showing us that God wants us to draw even closer. Hillsong has a newer song. It's you, you, you are who you say I am. That was easy for me to say. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Always love for me. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. 
You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Can you say that with me? God is for me, not against me. God is for me, not against me. You don't take anything home but that. God is for you. You have been invited to his table, to his presence. And this is something that you run towards. We should be running full force towards God. This future hope gives us a different glimpse of our circumstances. That when we see these elements and we, we consider that there's a, a table being prepared for us, that, but this represents that there's more than what we see, our circumstances shift. Well, we recognize that God wins. Can you say that with me? God wins. I read the end of the book. God wins. Cancer will not win. God wins. Death will not win. God wins. Injustice will not win. God wins. Addiction will not win. God wins. Hate will not win. God wins. Sin will not win. God wins. You are people of hope. Even in the midst of dark circumstances. I've been watching Thad and Sarah as they went through this and, and Sarah's Expecting again, we're all praying for that and Sarah. Uh, we're how many months? Five months. So keep Sarah and Thad in your prayers. But, but they've went through some tough times. And, and, and I'll be honest, it's been extreme pain um, for, for them and for their pastor. Because I want to be a person that has answers. And can I tell you, sometimes I don't have answers. All I can do is cry too. And I've been watching Sarah's post, and I, I love her post because they're so honest. And I, I got her permission to do this. And, and as I see Sarah and Thad, I see Dave and Nicole, they're going through some of the same stuff. You know, you have people in your church, you realize you have people in your church that are going through some very dark, difficult days. That, that they need a pat on the back, they need a hug, that they, they, need, they, they need the prayers of encouragement. Not, not that we have all the answers, because we don't. But we do know who's faithful and true and how these things work out. But that Sarah posted, I think it was the Christmas after the boys passed. Merry Christmas from our little family to yours. We miss two very special little boys an awful lot on this Christmas day. Instead of holding Otto and Oliver in front of the tree for our first Christmas as a family of four, Thad and I hold their stockings and focus intently on the fact that they are with Jesus. <laughs> the very baby that came into the world to save it now holds my two babies when I can, uh, cannot. Though Thad is convinced that they are now 30 and 40 not being held. Okay, Thad, I don't know, but we'll, we'll, we'll let you have that. Christmas has been tough because it's not... Just not what we dreamed of, but can also bring us a new hope. We are praying for an understanding of life in this new normal, for healing and for a redemptive chapter in our story. These precious boys opened up a layer of my heart I did not know was there, and I'm so thankful for their little lives. They are now whole, perfect, without pain. In a matter of mere moments, we'll be together with them again. Our families have been so gracious to bring us reminders of our boys this Christmas season. We have mourned their absence together, but they've also helped us to see there's hope in the very reason we celebrate this season. Beautiful. 
beautiful. But, but the truth is, Dad and Sarah, and tell me if I'm not correct, there's been times of extreme pain and hurt and questioning even in the midst of this, hasn't there? They exist together. See, pain and hope exist together. For, for Christ followers, pain and hope can exist together. As a matter of fact, for most of us, it will. In the midst of a, of a Christian's life, there'll be times of great hope where there's times of great questions at the same time. There will be times of great joy, even in the midst of great sorrow. Can we stop and acknowledge for a moment that only God can do that? That, that only God in our darkest of days can fill us with joy, even in pain, hope when we're full of questions. So, so my prayer for you as we consider these elements, is that not somehow we gloss over pain. That we act like it doesn't exist. That we act like it doesn't matter. Because it does. The epilogue of Job's book always kind of kills me. You know, Job goes through all this. He loses all of his kids. And I've had people quote, well, God gave you more kids after do you not think for a moment Job mourned every day for those sons and daughters that he lost? <laughs> Maybe not the sheep and the, the possessions, but, but even in the midst of that celebration at the end of that great book, there is still this sorrow that doesn't just end. So, so my prayer for us as the people of God is that, that we don't somehow act like there's easy answers for every question and that pain isn't present but we somehow look through for hope even in the midst of that pain we look for joy even in the midst of our suffering it changes our perspective on others we, we acknowledge that when we sing God is for me <laughs> we are also singing God is for them not against them and he wants others to be with him. You know, I, I, I think we create habit, and, and I've, I've done this myself. As a pastor, I, I preach sermons, uh, funeral sermons, and I've gone, well, I can just imagine that in heaven right now, he's out fishing on a dock, and just, you know, us pastors do that stuff. It makes people kind of feel good, and, you know, I, we, we tend to create our image of heaven, of, of, of what we think heaven should be, you know. It's me sitting, playing video games all day, eating Doritos or, or whatever floats your boat. Can, can, can I tell you? Heaven will be created in the image of God, not in the image of us. That, that somehow in heaven, that, 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 that God's final plan will not be developed by our personality and our desires, but by who God is. That, that, that's how heaven will be defined and oriented. And, and so heaven will be oriented by the God of love. God is love. Love cannot exist without relationship. So, so that means that, that heaven's not going to be me with a fishing pole all by myself because I don't have to deal with people anymore. 
<laughs> There's a few of you that you just lost all your hope for heaven, didn't you? But heaven's going to be us and others. That, that, that God values relationship and he invites his people to, to value relationship as well. As a matter of fact, the, the images of heaven that you have in, in the Bible are these images of diversity. Every tongue, every language, every tribe. I'm not sure a racist would be comfortable in heaven if they made it. So, so you, if you struggle with those tendencies, can, can, can I just tell you, there's nowhere in the Bible that celebrates, that condones exclusion and racism. Get, get, it, out of, get it out of your system. It's not there. And, and if you struggle with those things, if you struggle with xenophobia, the fear of foreigners, the fear of outsiders, the fear of people that are different. You need to get over yourself and get over that because you're going to spend eternity with people who are diverse and different than you. <laughs> and I think it's kind of interesting. You know, we think in heaven, well, there won't be any race. But that's not what it says. The Bible says every tribe and every tongue as if God said, ha ha, I want you to know that when we come to heaven, it's going to be all of us. There's going to be black, red, yellow, and white, and they're going to be celebrating me together. And I'm going to bring all this mess into one and unity. I got too excited about that. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not sure how personality works in heaven introverts and extroverts I'm an introvert and, and I'll be honest it, it takes work at time for, for, for me to be with people myself you know I get tired I get tired of you <laughs> and you get tired of me so it's okay all of us have that, that you know I don't know how that works but, but, but I just believe that it's going to be okay that God's going to work this out. That if we let love be our defining goal, if we let God be our defining goal, this will all work out. If you want to enjoy heaven, you better start living towards relationships now. The, the people of God, this is, Yoder says this, the people of God are called to be today what the world is called to be ultimately. That as the people of God, God wants his church to reflect heaven. God wants his church to reflect what's to be. And so communion reminds us that God is calling us to this great relationship in the future. And he's training us in this place to live in the midst of people and with people and for people we want to enjoy heaven, we best learn to enjoy others. <laughs> uh, it reminds me, we, we have a family table tonight, training time, time to be with people and just learn to enjoy people that are following Jesus. Truth is, we live in an impatient age. How many of you ever have stood in front of a, a microwave with a microwave mill that's five minutes thinking, man, that has taken a long time, right? You know, <laughs> We live in an impatient age. We, we live in an age of watch watchers. 
you know, except I think most people watch their phones now because that's most people's wristwatches. But, you know, we watch clocks. We're, we're consumed with time. We kind, of, <laughs> we kind of mirror that commercial. It's my money and I want it now, right? And there's this age of materialism that, that everything's driven by the now and what I can get. <laughs> I bought a new TV several years ago. And, it, you know, I, I had never had anything bigger than, like, a 21-inch TV. This is way back in the day. And I bought, like, a 32-inch TV. You know, it had a box that was still about that big. But, you know, it was a 32-inch TV. And then I went to my friend's house, and he had a 50-inch TV. Yeah, it stunk. <laughs> I had no joy for him. You know, we get driven by materialism. We want it now. Most of our finance, can we, can we acknowledge, I'll acknowledge most of my financial issues that I have in my life are driven by this ideal that I can't wait for the future, right? Uh, I think most financial problems people have is driven by this desire that, that people just can't wait. Our self-image gets in the way of relationships. We've got to win arguments. We've got to be proven Right, And if we situate ourselves in, in the future with the fullness of our hope, I believe it helps us with this drive towards materialism, this drive towards impatience, this, this having to be proven right. What, what would happen if we let go of the urgency of winning the now and fully trusted the God who all, makes all things new? What would happen? I'm going to ask Amy to come and she's going to sing while we receive communion as we come to these elements that represents this future hope. What if you let go of some of the need for now for the future? What if you received these elements and, and you were able to just say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this circumstance. I'm going to run towards you. I'm going to run towards others because I believe that's what you've created me to do. What relationship could be healed? Isn't that what it's all about? What, what relationship could be healed? Very practically, how could your finances be healed? I'm going to pray. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. We've talked about this, but in this last sermon on, on communion, confession is good for the soul. Confession brings transformation. And the truth is that many here may be caught with a misunderstanding of God. forgotten that God runs towards you. When the prodigal begins to return home, the father sees him from afar and leaves the porch and sprints to the arms of the son. Your heavenly father runs towards you, not away. And maybe somehow in your theology you've got this ideal that you've went too far or there's something more you need to do 
when the Spirit just says, come, let go. Let me embrace you. The boys were little. Every once in a while, they wouldn't want to be hugged. We'd try to hug them and they'd push, push away. Maybe that's where you are. Heavenly Father's trying to embrace you and you're just kind of holding him off. In this moment, could you just say, Father, here I am. Maybe there's a relationship that God's laid on your heart that you need to make right. Let's pray just a moment together.